0: Section 1 of The Fair Maid of Perth, or St. Valentine's Day. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elsie Sowen. The Fair Maid of Perth, or St. Valentine's Day, by Sir Walter Scott. Preface In continuing the lucubrations of Crystal Croft-Angry, it occurred that although the press had of late years teemed with works of various descriptions concerning the scottish gade no attempt had hitherto been made to sketch their manners as these might be supposed to have existed at the period when the statute book as well as the page of the chronicler begins to present constant evidence of the difficulties to which the crown was exposed while the haughty house of douglas all but overbalanced its authority on the southern border and the north was at the same time torn in pieces by the yet untamed savageness of the highland races and the daring loftiness to which some of the remoter chieftains still carried their pretensions the well-authenticated fact of two powerful clans having deputed each thirty champions to fight out a quarrel of old standing in the presence of king robert the third his brother the duke of albany and the whole court of scotland at perth in the year of grace thirteen ninety six seemed to mark with equal distinctness the rancour of these mountain feuds and the degraded condition of the general government of the country and it was fixed upon accordingly as the point on which the main incidents of a romantic narrative might be made to hinge The characters of robert the third his ambitious brother and his dissolute son seem to offer some opportunities of interesting contrast and the tragic fate of the heir of the throne with its immediate consequences might serve to complete the picture of cruelty and lawlessness two features of the story of this barrier battle on the inch of perth the flight of one of the appointed champions, and the reckless heroism of a townsman that voluntarily offered for a small piece of coin to supply his place in the mortal encounter, suggested the imaginary persons on whom much of the novel is expended. The fugitive Celt might have been easily dealt with had a ludicrous style of coloring been adopted, but it appeared to the author that there would be more of novelty as well as of serious interest, if he could succeed in gaining for him something of that sympathy which is incompatible with the total absence of respect. Miss Bailey had drawn a coward by nature capable of acting as a hero, under the strong impulse of filial affection. It seemed not impossible to concede the case of one constitutionally weak of nerve, being supported by feelings of honour, and of jealousy up to a certain point, and then suddenly giving way, under circumstances to which the bravest heart could hardly refuse compassion. The controversy as to who really were the clans that figured in the barbarous conflict of the inch has been revived since the publication of the Fair Maid of Perth, and treated in particular at great length by Mr. Robert McKay of Thurso, and his very curious history of the house and clan of Mackay without pretending to say that he has settled any part of the question in the affirmative this gentleman certainly seems to have quite succeeded in proving that his own worthy sept had no part in the transaction the mackays were in that age seated as they have since continued to be in the extreme north of the island and their chief at the time was a personage of such importance that his name and proper designation could not have been omitted in the early narratives of the occurrence he on one occasion brought four thousand of his clan to the aid of the royal banner against the Lord of the Isles. This historian is of the opinion that the clan Quihil of Wintoun were the Camerons, who appear to have about that period been often designated as Mace ones, and to have gained much more recently the name of Cameron, i.e. Rhinos, from the blemish in the physiognomy of some heroic chief of the line of Lochiel. This view of the case is also adopted by Douglas in his Baronage, where he frequently mentions the bitter feuds between Clan Shatton and Clan Kay, and identifies the latter sept, in reference to the events of 1396, with the Camerons. It is perhaps impossible to clear up thoroughly this controversy, little interesting in itself, at least to readers on this side of Inverness the names as we have them in wintoon are clan wheel and clachina the latter probably not correctly transcribed and the scotty chronican they are clan Quahil and clan kay hector boessy writes clanchatin and clan kay and which he is followed by leslie while buchanan disdains to disfigure his page with their gaelic designations at all and merely describes them as two powerful races in the wild and lawless regions beyond the grampians out of this jumble, what Sassenach can pretend dare lucum? The name Clanwyhill appears so late as fifteen ninety four in an act of James the Sixth. Is it not possible that it may be, after all, a mere corruption of Clan Lochiel? The reader may not be displeased to have Wintoun's original rhymes. Book nine, chapter seventeen. A thousand and three hundred year, ninety and sacks to make our clear, Of their score wild Scottish men, threaty again, threaty then, And felony bonnet of old fed, boiled with the cruelty of an old feud, And thy fodderous wan slain to dead, that fair score war clannis twa clannin quhil clanchinia of their twa kinis war damen thretty again thretty then and there thy had thine chieftain's twa ska fair quest son was one of tha the thither Christie Johnson, a scale thing be that was done, at scant Johnston beseech the friars, are thy entreated batteries with bow and arrow? Nithen swared to deal among them there last that, ther. thy laid on that time so fast, quaha had the where that at the last? I will nought say, ha quah best had? He whispered, "Droop birth, mooth and bad 50 a Ma was slain that day, So a few with leaf then passed away. The prior of Loch Levin makes no mention either of the evasion of one of the Gaelic champions or of the gallantry of the Perth artisan, and offering to take a share in the conflict. Both incidents, however, were introduced, no doubt from tradition, by the Kinturinator of Fordon, Bower, whose narrative is in these words, anno domino milesimo, trecensissimo, nonagesimo sexto, magda pars volialis gotae transalpes inquietata fuit per duos pestiferos cateranos, et heorem sequasis. Vis, seabec et suos consanguinarios qui clance, et Christi Ionsum, ac suos qui clanque dicabantur, cui nullo pacto wel fractut, paficare poterant nullaque ate reges vel gubernatores, poterant elomare quorasque nobilis et inrustosus dominus David de Lince de Crawford, at dominus Thomas Comes mura viae, diligentiam et vireis apposuerunt ac inter partes sic tractauerat ut coram domino rege certod die convenierant apud perth, et Alturtar pass pas eligeret de progenie sua trigente personas adversas trienta trigenta de parte contraria, cum gladi santem, et arcubus et sagittis absque deploidibus, vel amaturus alis, Praeter bipenes, et si concretentes, fidem liti ponerant et terra pace potiertur. Ut recue, parte sume, placuit contractus et die lunae proximo ante festum sancti Michaelis apur nord insulum de Perth, coram rege et gubernantore et innumerabile multidine comparentes conflictum acerimum inieront ubi de sexaginte interfecti sunt omnes excepto uno ex parte clanque et undecam exceptis ex parte altera Hoc etiam ibi achidit quod omnes in procintu belli constitui, unus eorum locum defigi considerans, inter omnes in animum elabitur, et agum de thaea natando transcredit, Amilenes in sequetur, sed nusquam apprehenditur, stantigitur partes a tantquam non ad conflictum progressuri, ob defectum evasi, lolit enem part integram avens numerum sociorum consentire, ut unos de suis defemitur, nec putuit pas altera quocumque pretio alterum ad suplandi vicem, fugientes inducere. Stupent igitur ones aerentes de damno fugitiwi conquerentes, et cum totum iliad opa cessare fut hareatur, in medio prorupet unus stipulosus vernaculus, statura modicus sed et fere sticens ego, quis me conducet in frare com operaris istis adhunc lurum theatralem, dimidia en marca lurum expirar, Utra hoc patentis ucsi wewste palestra uacero uitemacuo cum westrum recipiam duum wexero quia sicet dicitur, magorem caritatem nemo abit, quam ut animam suam honat suis pro amicis quali mercahede, donabor cui animum deam pro inimicis, in republicae et regine, pono, quod petiet a et diversus magnitibus concedetur, cum hoc arcis ehus extendetur, et primo sagitum en partam contrarium transmisit, iunum interficit, confestum hinc in sagitae volintat, vipenes librant, gladios vibrant, Alterutro rocertant, et veluti carnifices boves macello sic inconstenante ad in vicim se trucidant. Sed neck and tantos repertos as well unas, qui, tan cum vequors antimidus, sive postergum alterius declinants, sepsum a tanta caede excusare. Este ham tiro superveniens, finalitur ilaisus excivit, et dehing mortal tempore boraves quivivit, nec ibidum fuit up supra cateranorum excusis. The scene is heightened with many florid additions by Bocce and Leslie, and the contending savages in Buchanan utter speeches after the most approved pattern of Livy the devotion of the young chief of clanquihil's foster-father and foster-brethren in the novel is a trait of clannish fidelity of which highland's story furnishes many examples in the battle of inverkinthen between the royalists and oliver cromwell's troops a foster-father and seven brave sons are known to have thus sacrificed themselves for sir hector Maclean of dewart the old man whenever one of his boys fell thrusting forward another to fill his place at the right hand of the beloved chief with the very words adapted in the novel another for hector nay the feeling could outlive generations the late much lamented general stuart of garth and his account of the battle of killicrankie informs us that Lochiella was attended on the field by the son of his foster-brother this faithful adherent followed him like his shadow, ready to assist him with his sword or cover him from the shot of the enemy. Suddenly, the chief missed his friend from his side and turned round to look what had become of him. Saw him lying on his back with his breast pierced by an arrow. He had hardly breath before he expired. To tell Lochiel that, seeing an enemy, a Highlander in General Mackay's army aiming at him with a bow and arrow, he sprung behind him, and thus sheltered him from instant death. This. Observes the gallant David Stuart, as a species of duty not often practised, perhaps, by our aide de camp of the present day. Sketches of the Highlanders, Volume 1, page 65. I have only to add that the second series of Chronicles of the Canongate, with the chapter introductory which precedes, appeared in May 1828 and had a favorable reception. Abbotsford, August 15th, 1831. End of section one. Recording by Elsie Selwyn.